This morning our scripture reading is a little longer. We're going to read through Genesis chapter 3. So if you are able to stand with me this morning, or you're able just to stand for part of it, that's fine. But please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. We're starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise, your, bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field." By the sweat of your face you will eat, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living things. Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I know it's a long, a little bit long in the reading, but it's one big story, and so it's hard to want to break that up and to not read what's going on there in the Garden of Eden. 
Today we are continuing our series on the story of redemption. This morning's passage, the account of Adam and Eve's sin, the subsequent cursing of all of creation is sometimes simply just called the fall. Sometimes we call it the fall of mankind, but it is the fall, the story of how death and sin entered our world. Now this event is very likely uh, familiar to you. You probably know this story better than any other story in the Bible. There's a good chance of that, right? You learned this in Sunday school, right? I know your kids, they see the little pictures in the story Bible and they chuckle because they're, Adam and Eve are hiding in their leaves, right? And we all, we all learn this story from an early age. And I think it makes sense, though, for us to keep referring back to it and to study it again. And here's why. No matter where you go in that story of redemption, from beginning to end, you never get very far from Genesis. You never get very far from God creating everything. You never get very far from the fall. Even in sharing the good news of salvation, you want to share the gospel with somebody. Where do you always have to start? It's with sin, right? We have to get to the fact that we are all sinners in every conversation you have about the gospel. We always think of the, the New Testament version, but we want to, I mean, I don't know how many times sharing the gospel with people. You go back to the story of Genesis. Hey, you know the story of Adam and Eve, right? Even people in our culture will know some bits and pieces of this if they don't know anything else about Christianity because they've heard this story. So at this story today, the, the account that we read, I say story, but I don't mean that in the fact that this is a fictional story. I believe this is the historical account of what happened in the garden. But this account helps us understand the sin problem that plagues all of mankind. We get the questions all the time, right? Why is there evil in this world? Why do bad things happen? Why do we have sin and death? Why do we have to grieve over loved ones? And the story helps us make sense of the world in which we live in at times when it seems like violence and evil and sin reign supreme. So let us study this history together. Now, if you have your Bible open, and I hope you do, turn back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Here we want to begin this story with the command given to Adam at the very beginning, on the very day he was created. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Here we find a very simple command, isn't it? And the first part of this actually gives them great freedom. They could eat from any tree in the garden. You guys remember what other tree was there? The tree of life, right? They could have reached out and taken, partaken of that fruit, eaten it, and lived forever, according to what we find in the Scripture. Instead, we know that uh, that's not what's going to happen. But the trees that we find here, they were, it says they were good for food. They were beautiful to the eye. But the first part of this was great freedom. You can eat from all the other trees. Everything else you had the freedom to partake of. The second part of this, though, says they were forbidden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this negative command came with a promise or a consequence if they eat of the forbidden fruit, they would surely die. That's the promise that he made to them. Note that uh, the consequences were contingent on their obedience. 
In other words, this promise, if they obey God's command, if they obey the law as He has given it to them, there is life and blessing. If they disobey God's command, there is death. Now, as we go through the story of redemption, as we go through the whole Bible, okay, as we begin to think of all how this plays out, we really find two types of covenants or these promises that God makes with His people. Some of them, like this one made to Adam at the very beginning, are conditional, right? They come with, uh, if you obey, blessings. If you disobey, there is death, and there are consequences that come with that. Others, as we study, and even today as we get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we find there are other promises that are unconditional. God makes covenants and promises with His people that He is going to carry out no matter how unfaithful we are. And that's just the short end of it. Last week we talked about the story of redemption, that before God founded the world, He had a plan to rescue us and save us by sending Jesus. And He's going to carry out that promise no matter what happens among His people. He made a promise to Abraham, and we're going to study that in a few weeks. Hey, I'm going to bless all the families of the world through your family. And we know it was not contingent on their faithfulness. Because when we read the story of the Scripture, we see their unfaithfulness time and time again. But who's always faithful? God. He always keeps His promises. Keep that in mind as we study today. Now look down at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6 there. We come to the section of the temptation. What actually takes place in the garden? First, it says the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. In other words, he was clever and he was tricky. And we all wonder sometimes what, what this is, but we know historically we have identified this serpent as Satan. Coming and either speaking through the serpent or taking the form of the serpent, we don't know. But consider this, this is Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says this, The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Do you hear there in Revelation chapter 12, it identifies Satan as that serpent of old. And I believe it's referring back to even this. And so we know that's who he is. And even in Revelation, it said that he was there to deceive the whole world. That what, that's exactly what we find him doing in Genesis here, isn't it? He's coming to deceive Eve. Notice that the, the serpent does not go directly to Adam, but it goes to Eve. This is important because while Eve knew the commandment and she knew better, that first command was given to Adam before Eve was even made. And the one who is ultimately going to be held responsible for keeping that command is Adam. Maybe Satan knew that going to Adam directly would have been more difficult. We can speculate, we can talk about different uh, ideas, maybe why that would be, but in the end it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter why he went to Eve, but he did. And then as you think about the temptation, what he actually says, he comes and he twists the commands of God. Look at what he says here in verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 1. He said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. You guys think that Satan knew exactly what God had told them? He certainly did. And he comes and he wants to twist the message. 
Did God really say you shouldn't eat from any tree of the garden? Now, Eve knows the truth of it, and you can see it from her response. She said to the serpent, verse 2, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Now, she knows we're not supposed to eat it. We know that if we eat it, God has made a command that we will die. Now, she does add a little bit there. We have no record that God actually said, don't touch the tree. But we kind of handle sin that way in God's commands, right? And maybe they were just trying to be careful. You know, maybe Adam just thought, you know what? God said if we eat from that tree, we will die. Let's make sure we don't. Uh, Who knows? Maybe they put a fence around it and said, we're not even going to touch that thing. Makes sense, right? You've been promised you die if you get near it. And so, the, or if you eat of it. So they decided we're not going to do that. But suddenly the temptation is there. Eve begins to doubt God's word. She could have trusted in God. She could have trusted in his goodness and his good plan for her. But instead, I think she begins to question it. Listen, just watch how this unfolds in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it from eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You think maybe she begins to think, you know, maybe he's right. Why does God tell me not to eat of it? He knows I'll be like him. It's good for wisdom, right? You know, they say curiosity kills the cat. And that's true for humans, right? Like we just we just want things that we shouldn't have sometimes. And we get this idea that, well, God, I can't believe God told me I can't have that. We think about it, all sorts of sin works that way. We desire it, we want it, and we don't always understand it carries with it negative consequences. And it brings forth death in our lives, but we don't understand that until we get the consequences, right? Sin seems good for a little while. But in the end, it's death. But she began to question, does God really want what's best for me? Or is he holding me back? And in verse 6, we find one of the greatest tragedies in the Bible. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband, and he ate. It was treason. It was rebellion against the king. We don't think of it that way, right? We think it was just a simple sin, right? She just ate from that fruit. They had a direct command from God, and they violated it. The king said, don't eat that fruit. And she walked right in and did it. And then she gave it to her husband, and Adam ate it as well. Now, it's interesting. We might say, well, certainly Eve is to blame here, right? This is Eve's fault that we have the problem that we do. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. You can write that down if you want to read it later. We're told there in 1 Timothy 2, 14, that it was not Adam who was deceived, but Eve being deceived fell into transgression. In other words, she was deceived by the serpent, believed his lies, and she sinned. But that doesn't make Adam better. It doesn't excuse him. It instead implies that Adam knew full well what he was doing when he sinned. That ultimately the one who 
is held accountable for this. Adam knew the command, right? I think he just sat back and watched as all this happened. Eve eats that fruit, and then maybe he thinks, you know what? She did it. It's fine. It's desirable. It'll make me wise. It was delight to the eyes. It'll look good. God told me not to eat it, but I'm going to eat it. You ever done that in your life? There's something you knew God just said. It, it was a clear command in the Scripture, don't do it. And you thought, you know what? I really want it. And you did it anyway. I mean, the commands of Scripture are pretty clear on most things in life, aren't they? We have the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't lie. Any of you ever told a lie? Because we think to ourselves, not that big a deal. And we forget that it is treason and rebellion against the king. So we can't blame Eve here, although she's guilty, because it's Adam who is ultimately held accountable. So now they've sinned. We've seen the temptation. They've fallen to sin. What is the fruit? How does this play out? What do we get out of this sin that they did? First, look at verse 7. It says, The eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So the first thing that they get is they did gain knowledge. Satan was right about that, right? They got the knowledge of good and evil that they wanted. They were no longer in the innocent state in which they'd been created. They had fallen into sin. Now their eyes were opened, and the first thing they realized is that they were naked. The second fruit of their sin was shame, and I think those two go together pretty quickly. They now understood how wrong they were in what they had done, and it's illustrated in the text by them sowing those leaves to hide themselves, to cover their bodies. They recognize this isn't right. We weren't supposed to be this way. And so they've gotten knowledge, but they also brought with it sin and shame. It's also as we get down to verse 10, we get there in a minute, we'll see that they're hiding, not just, uh, they're hiding from the Lord specifically. Go ahead and turn there. Look at verse 10. The Lord calls out to the man and says, Where are you? And Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. The third fruit of their sin is the fruit of that broken relationship between God and all of mankind. That there is now a distance between us. We have God who is holy and on His throne, and then there's us, the sinner, those who violate His commands. Prior to this, God had had this special relationship with Adam and Eve. He had certainly spoken commands to them. Even here in verse 8, notice in verse 8 it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And then they hid. Because when they heard the sound of Him walking, they knew who it was. Because this was God's habit. He was, had a relationship with His people. And they hear God's walking in the garden. And instead of this time of going to see Him, they're running for cover. Why? Because they know they have violated the command. They're afraid. And they recognize it. The fruit of the, the sin that they've done has, has brought a broken relationship between them and with God. So this time, instead of joining God, speaking with their Creator, they hide themselves. Our sin today still separates us from the God of all things. Notice how this plays out. Look at verses 9 through... Uh, look, look down at verse 13. Or, uh, let's, yeah, let's go to 13. They're now afraid of God. They're ashamed. They hide. 
Then the excuses begin. I'm going to back up. I'm going to go back to verse 11. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave for me and I ate. That sounds like human nature, right? They get caught red-handed. They're sitting there in their loincloths. And they're like, well, who told you you were naked? Well, God, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave it to me and I ate it. We find the first excuse right there, right? I mean, he's just, listen, and, and he's partly blaming Eve. She gave it to me. But if you really read it, he's almost blaming God, right? Well, you gave me the woman, and I like her, but she gave me to eat of that. And then I ate it. So don't really come looking at me. It's not my fault. She did it. And God then turns to the woman. You guys, you ever wonder what God was thinking through this? I mean, have you ever caught, maybe, uh, or you, maybe when you were a child, you got caught just doing something. You just made up some preposterous lie to try to get out of it. And your parents had to just be thinking, there's no way in the world that's a true story. God had to be kind of just, Wondering what these guys were thinking in line to the omniscient, all-knowing God, right? But he says to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, well, that the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. In other words, she still doesn't say, yeah, I did it. She, Adam passes the, the buck on to her and says, well, she did it. And she looks at the serpent and goes, he did it. And nobody wants to take the blame for what happened. The excuses have begun. Church, here's the truth of it. They only had one rule, one command, and they weren't able to keep it. And then we get, because of that, to the curse of the fall. Look down at verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. The first part of this curse to the serpent, to Satan, is that he will go on his belly and will eat dust. We don't know, perhaps at that point, serpents had legs. It does describe him as a dragon. We don't know what that looked like. But what I do know today is uh, we caught a snake in our house last week. And you know what snakes do, right? They get slither along the dust of the earth, right? And according to this text, that's a, a curse. But it's really referring more to just the snake you find in your yard, isn't it? Although you think about the next passage, and it kind of fits there too. But look at verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, that's just a general statement about snakes, right? There's enmity between mankind and snakes. We don't like them. And uh, I experienced this firsthand a couple of years ago. We had a nice black snake come through our yard, and I'd already seen him, and I left him alone because he was. We had a. We were in a far like an old parsonage in a farm or, or in a field, and so there were mice. I wanted that snake out there. My grandmother, God bless her, she came out that day, and she's a tiny little woman, and I don't know what was happening, 
But she saw that snake and all her farming instincts kicked in from her childhood. And I thought she'd be terrified and run. Instead, she picked up a stick and she chased that snake and just was whacking that snake on the head. And she chased it into a bush and I'm, Granny, don't kill the snake, Granny. I want the snake. And she didn't get that. You know, she's like, well, I see a snake, I kill it. And so there's my grandmother battling this big snake out in the yard. And uh, I'd never seen her move so fast. But it's more than just a story about people and snakes, isn't it? Because we know this is a curse on Satan himself. But we also have in verse 15 one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. Notice what it says. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. You know, we find that that promise gets carried out through the seed of the woman. And we know that is pointing us to Jesus. So right here in Genesis 3.15, we have a promise that is made. Someone's coming, a rescuer, a savior is coming who will crush the head of Satan. Yes, you ever think back to the cross what Satan was thinking? Maybe he thought, I won. It turns out you bruised his heel and he crushed his head. He thought he won on the cross, right? But Jesus destroyed death for all time. He, Jesus there completely won the victory. Satan has no power over us. And all that was going to happen. All that is going to play forward. But it starts here in Genesis 3. So we have in Genesis 2 this conditional command. In Genesis 3.15, as, even as part of this curse, we have this promise. Are there any conditions laid on it? Where he says, you know what, if the seed of the woman does the right thing, if they're good people, if they'll follow me, I'm going to crush Satan's head. It doesn't, right? It just says, I'm going to do it. This is what's going to happen. And so we're going to see that play out. But that's the curse to the snake. It's the promise. Some people call verse 15 the proto-gospel. It's the, the, four, the kind of forepromise of the gospel. It is a little bit explanation of, hey, it's going to begin to get worked out in history. Look down at verse 16. Talk about here the, the sin, the curse for the woman. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And all the women said, Amen, right? I mean, think about it. That's not a very good curse, is it? There's going to be pain in childbirth. And listen, humanity doesn't continue on without childbirth, right? And so we find the curse there. It says, in pain you'll bring forth your children. There's another one, another part of this curse kind of hidden at the end. It says, your desire, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. You know, Adam and Eve were created in the garden and to be helpmates, companions, working on God's mission together. And suddenly that's broken in Genesis 3. That, part, that verse there says, your desire will be for your husband. That word desire can mean Desire in the sense of overcome, want to destroy, want to rule over. And all you have to do, if you, if you flip to Genesis chapter 4, let me look for the right verse here. Verse 7 says, he's talking, God is talking to Cain. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, 
and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You know, it's the same word. You will desire your husband to overcome it. And sin's desires to overcome you. But it, it, suddenly there's strife between the husband and wife relationship. And when it says he will rule over you, it seems to suggest, listen, this isn't going to go well either way. There's going to be this struggle now in human relationships that originally was not there. All of this is the fruit of sin in their lives. I know we're running low on time, so I'm going to speed this up a little bit. Look down at verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We find suddenly instead of this sort of beautiful Garden of Eden, suddenly life is going to be difficult, is what we find in this, right? You're going to work, and you're going to work, and it's going to be hard. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be thistles and thorns. There's going to be bamboo in your backyard. There's going to be all sorts of things you don't like, okay? But the, the worst part, however, let me get back to it, is it says you're going to do all that until you return to the ground because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Did death enter the world that day? It sure did. Not only are you going to have a hard life, a lot more difficult than it should have been, work's going to be hard, making sure you have enough food to eat might be hard, and one, the day's going to come when you will die and your body will return to dust. Is that not still the way the world works today? All because of this sin. All because of what we call the fall. At the end of verse 19, we see the serpent's lie for what it is. He told Eve, you will not die. And here it is, death is guaranteed. Spiritual death was already a work but physical death was coming to you. see, their relationship with God was already broken. But now, not only is it that, but the physical death is on its way. They live to a, they're going to live to be a long, or they're going to live to a ripe old age, but they will die. Now, there's some theological implications, some things I want you to think about that happened with, this, with the fall. First, we have what we call original sin, right? Just the idea that every person on this planet is a sinner. Every one of us. And it is because we are all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We all fall in that line. And because he sinned, we all sin. If you don't believe me, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. If you have your Bible there, you can turn to it. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. <clears throat> Listen to what it says. Therefore, just as one man entered... Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spreads to all men, because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. It is said there very clearly, death and sin entered the world 
through Adam, and it spread to all men. Even through the law of Moses, even though the law of Moses wouldn't come, they didn't even understand all that sin was yet. They didn't even understand all the ways that they could sin. And nevertheless, it said death reigned. The consequences of sin were there anyway. So we believe as Christians that there is no person on this earth that has ever lived a life completely without sin. We're going to see that play, play out time and time again in the Bible. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we see suffering and death in this world, we know that sin is the cause of it. That's why we look forward to the end, right? Last week we talked about how all the story of redemption is taking us to the new heavens and new earth where death and sin is put away from or is put away forever. When all things will be restored and made right, a better Garden of Eden, the new city, the new Jerusalem that we have to look forward to. But in this earth, we have trouble. But that day is coming when the curse of sin will finally be broken. We'll be restored back into God's presence. We'll have no more tears, no more suffering or death. There will be no more crying. But for now, suffering and death, unfortunately, are an inevitable part of human experience. Years later, years, many years later, the prophet Hosea would come up and he'd say this about God's people. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. It said, But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. They have dealt treacherously against me. In other words, God's people, like Adam, were guilty of breaking God's law. The covenant made with Adam was one of works if you obey blessings. If you do not obey, there's sin and death. We'll find promises like this in the Bible. Again, even as we look at the sacrificial system, the law given to Moses, it came with conditions. If you obey, I will bless you. If you do not, there's curses. They fail at the law every single time. You don't find any example in Scripture where you can go, you know what, that person got it right 100% of the time except one. And he was not born of Adam. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus came to be, the Scripture calls him a second Adam, a better Adam that would come. That Adam was a type of Christ who would come, and he would come and make it available, life available for us to take away the, the consequences of sin, to take away death, but ultimately even to free us from the curse of sin, though we will not find that here on this earth. So here's why I say that this morning. If you come to God and you believe that by being a good person, by following God's commands, you can earn salvation for yourself. You are mistaken. No one gets saved by following the commands. Because like Adam failed, we all fail. Every one of us. And the standard laid out before them was, you either obey the law fully or not at all because you're guilty of breaking it all. And so when it came to that penalty of death, it just took one sin for each of us to be guilty, for that relationship of, with, between us and God to be broken, for Him to be holy and distinct and us to be over here. 
asking for mercy. Romans 3.20 says this, Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When we find God's commands, they're pointing out our sin to us, that no one was ever justified, no one was declared right by following the law. Because no one could do it completely, except for one who was able to fulfill the law and carry it out for us so that we would get all the benefits of his life and his death. You say, well, if no one gets justified by, the, by being good, no one gets justified or declared right by doing good works, what hope is there for you? What hope is there for me? We go back to Genesis 3.15. That someone would come, the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent and win the victory. This promise doesn't come with conditions. God is carrying out his plan of redemption and grace. This is God promising salvation and deliverance from the curse of sin and death. So thousands of years later, that seed would come, born of the Virgin Mary, not a slave to sin like us. Jesus would come and with his death, defeat sin and Satan forever. And again, I wonder, maybe Satan laughed that day. Maybe he thought he won when Jesus was hanging on the cross. But his head got crushed, and Jesus was ever victorious. Throughout the Bible, we find that these promises of salvation and grace, but we need God to intervene and to rescue us. And he has delivered. He's carried out the promise of Genesis 3.15. He has done it. So friends, I say this to you today, do not delay. Do not trust in your own righteousness or your own goodness. Don't trust and think, you know, I've been a good person. I thought that way before I got saved. I thought, you know what? I was a good student. I made good grades. I didn't do drugs. I was on the football team. I was dating a cheerleader. I thought, you know, life was all right. Life was normal. And I remember tell, thinking to myself, if there's a God, he'd probably be okay with me. Oh, how wrong I was. Couldn't even recognize the deep sins in my life. The pride where I thought I could do it. Don't delay. Don't trust in your own righteousness or your own goodness because you will be condemned. If you stood before our Savior today. If you die today, and by the way, I, I got a chance to talk about this with somebody this week, but I asked him, I said, sir, if you died today and you were standing at the gates of heaven and he asked you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And the first answer is this. I'm a good person. Church, we don't get in through that. The law, the fall condemns us all. So what do you do? You come today and you call on Christ. And you ask Him, the Savior of the universe, the Savior of all mankind, you ask Him to come and save you. That's all it takes. It's not even a magic prayer, right? It's not some magic words you have to speak. It's not that you've got to get the, the words just right. It's calling on God and saying, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be rescued. 
and you ask him, Jesus, come and save you. Come and save me. And when he does, he causes you to be born again. He fills you with the Spirit. He makes you a new creature. He paid the death penalty for you, and he has set you free. So this morning as we come to our time of invitation, I am down here. I'm going to be here. And if you don't want to come during the service, come and speak to me afterwards. We will go through the Scripture together so that you can, I can show you how it is that you are to be saved. How can you be rescued from the penalty of death, from the penalty of sin and hell? I'm here and be honored to show you that in the Scripture. So come today. Come. Don't live under the fall. Don't live condemned. Come and be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for the beautiful passage you've given us where you have taught us about what has happened in this world to cause so much sin and death and destruction. But Father, ultimately we know that because of it, we were separated from you. But now in Jesus, you've paid such a great price to bring us back into your family. Father, I pray that we wouldn't come to you with anything in our hands. But Father, we would just come and ask you to rescue us and to save us. For Jesus to cause us to be born again. And we know that you are good and faithful to do it. So Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That there is no reason to wait. In fact, it is dangerous to do so. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. Father, that we would flee from death and cling to life in Jesus. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.